We're coming to the close, in conclusion, of the book of Ephesians. And, um, but we're just letting the Lord take his time here and uh, let him kind of call the shots, revise the plans as he sees fit. So, we don't know when the book of Ephesians is going to finally come to an end, but I'm thinking maybe next week. But what I want to do this morning is to continue this, this series on, uh, on prayer and the urgency of prayer. Because we're at that stage in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 18 following, or 6, verses 18 following. And I want to do this as a way of just setting up. This isn't going to really be a sermon. It's more of a Bible reflection. And I want to do it as a way of setting up a healing time that we're going to have at the close of the service. Where we're going to make uh, available the front of the auditorium here for you to come forward as, as the rest of the congregation worships the Lord and receive some healing from the Lord. What we saw this morning in the first service was that God is just about this morning doing some incredible, fantastic things um, and freeing some people. We're believing God to do the same in this service. What we've seen so far is this. The Bible assumes that prayer is urgent. Things hang on prayer. There's a vitalness to prayer that most of us, frankly, most of the time don't fully grasp. We've looked at why prayer is urgent. It has to do with the purpose for creation and what the the saints are called to do in this world. And now we've been looking at the last two weeks on variables in prayer, things that keep prayer from being answered and things that aid prayer in being answered. What I want to do this morning is simply talk about one more of these things that sometimes keep us from seeing an answer to prayer. And in a way, it's a rather unusual one, but I believe it's a a profound and very common one. And it's this. When we pray, we, we often believe we want the prayer answered, but at some level, we're afraid to see it answered. Follow me on this. I, I would like to read from the, the, the book of Luke. We've, we've read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 about 16 times. So you probably had that memorized. So let's read something different just for the fun of it. The book of Luke, chapter 5. Which drives home the point I want to make this morning, starting with verse 36. And if you're really hot and sweaty, just let the anointing flow, you guys. It's okay. My hair is so curly this morning. It's like the humidity. It's great. It's anointing. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 36. Listen to this. Jesus told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. The point that Jesus is making there is you cannot mix the old and the new. You can't mix the old and the new. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. The point, again, is simply this. You can't mix the old and the new. New wine needs to be poured into new wineskins. And then to drive home this point to the Pharisees, he says this in verse 39. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says, the old is better. 
The point he's getting at is this. Jesus, in his life, in his ministry, was doing something radically new. At least it was radically new to the Pharisees. Though most of what he did was prophesied in the Old Testament, the Pharisees weren't ready to receive it, so it was new to them. And Jesus is saying, you guys are just like people who, because you like your old wine, you're familiar with its taste, you're used to that, it's what's predictable for you, because of that, you're not willing to receive the new wine that I have, or you're trying to take this new wine and put it into your old wineskins, put it into your own categories, put it into your old ways of thinking, and it will not work, the Lord is saying. I believe that one of the reasons why we don't sometimes see prayer answered is because the answer to that prayer would involve a new thing. And we can, though we in one sense want the new thing, we can be addicted to the old and hang on to the old. You know, God is, is throughout the Bible a God who does new things because He's a God who brings about change. He's a God who brings about transformation. He's a God who brings about growth. And if you think about it, change always involves newness. Growth always involves newness. The Christian life is said to be a, a new birth in First Peter. In Romans chapter 6, it says that we've got new life in Christ. Galatians chapter 6 says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 31, the salvation of God is described as God doing a radically new thing, a different thing, something you wouldn't expect. First and Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The Lord says this through the Apostle Paul, We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. New. We're new creatures. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Behold, old things have passed away. All things are new. On the one level, that means that when you become a believer and surrender your life to Christ, your standing before God is a brand new thing. You are. You have got a new righteousness, a new life, a new spirit within you. On another level, this verse applies to every day of our life. We are called to be new creatures in Christ Jesus. We are called to manifest the truth that in the cross of Calvary, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Growth and change and even answer to prayer involves newness. But sometimes we pray, we want to see God do a new thing, and yet we like the old wine. We're used to the old wine. We're used to the old ways of behaving. We're used to the old ways of feeling. We're used to the old ways of thinking. We're used to the old lifestyle. As much as we pray that we want God to see us change, it can happen that in the depths of our heart, we're really afraid to receive that. So we hang on to the old. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 profound verse. Larry Crabb made this one of the foundational uh, verses for his counseling ministry. The Lord says this to the children of Israel. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the wellspring of life. And they have made cisterns of their own, cisterns that do not hold water. Follow me on this. In ancient Israel, very dry land, usually you had to store water in cisterns, these large jugs they could hold gallons and gallons of water. 
He didn't live by a reservoir, didn't live by a spring, didn't live by a river. You had to store up your water in these jugs, and it wasn't a very good way of, 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 of holding water. I mean, but it's all they had. They didn't have a lot of hydraulics. But the water wouldn't be cold. It would be warm. In fact, usually after a couple of days, it would get stale. It could get mildewy. It was a limited reservoir of water that was there. In the case of the Israelites' water, the Lord says, you have, you have this, these sisters, they don't even hold water. They're leaking all over the place. You, in doing this, have rejected me, the wellspring of life. What the Lord is getting at here is this. He's saying, Israelites, I want to be your river of living water. I want to be fresh water to you. I want to be fresh life to you. I want to be new life to you. But you've turned off me, the supreme water faucet, as it were, and instead you make these little, fallible, small, finite, stale, lukewarm jugs of water on your own. They don't even hold any water, and you prefer that over me. Why? Because you can feel proud of having made this. You're used to this. This is safe. You always can look at that sister and say, oh, I got my water right there. You don't need to have faith for this. You don't need to trust God for this. And so you prefer this water over the water that God wants to bring you. You try to meet the thirst in your life, and we are all thirsty. You try to meet the thirst in your life with the water that you keep in your own jug. Jesus says in John 7, verse 38 and 39, He says, Whosoever believes in Me, out of your innermost being, literally out of your bowels, your innermost being will flow rivers, not just a river, but rivers of living water. When you become a believer, you need to receive this now, and this is true whether you experience it or not, but when you become a believer and enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, you are given an infinite reservoir of life out of which every thirst in your life can be quenched. It has no limits. It is not stale. It does not leak. It's always going to be there. But the issue is this. Will we turn towards that river of life? Will we turn on that faucet, as it were, Or will we stick with the old cisterns that we have made of our own? Will we prefer our own stale water over the fresh water of Jesus Christ? Will we prefer our own finite jugs over the infinite reservoir of life that's found in Jesus Christ? Will we go with this old stale, moldy, lukewarm water as opposed to the the fresh, cool water of life in Jesus Christ? Because what what Jesus is getting at in the Gospel of Luke is this. You cannot have it both ways. To grab hold of the infinite reservoir of life, you've got to let go of these old cisterns. These are cisterns of the way we used to behave, cisterns of our old way of feeling, cisterns of our old way, cisterns of our old way of being married, cisterns of our old ways of relating to God. And the Lord is saying, if you want the newness of life, you've got to let go of this. Let me tell you, let's, let's put some flesh on this. I'll tell you about a cistern that I've had in my life. One of the hardest cisterns to get rid of are those that you created for yourself as a kid in order to survive. And I, I've had a cistern like that. Some of you have known about that. I've shared this before. But it's like this. I had a very young age. It couldn't have been more than seven because I, I remember doing this and then we moved from this location when I was seven. So I was six or seven years old. But I came to the conclusion that my stepmother did not like me. I don't remember any fond words from her, any warm words ever sitting on her lap, any I love yous of any of that sort. And she had some pretty aberrant ways of punishing us kids, and I was kind of a hyperactive kid, so I was always in trouble. And I just came to the conclusion that, that, that for whatever reasons, she doesn't like me, she's mean to me, 
And so I made this little covenant in my little six-year-old heart. I said, if she doesn't like me, I'm not going to like her. That's all there is to it. And she can do whatever she wants, but it's not going to hurt me. I will not let myself get hurt. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Every six-year-old is thirsty for a mother's love, for some tenderness to be held and all that kind of stuff. But I decided if I can't get water from her, I'll, I'll, I'll create my own little sister and I'll store my own little water, as it were. I'll drink from this. And what that cistern is made of is sort of a stoic resignation, a wall that says, you will not hurt me. And the thing that is, is amazing to me is that it worked. Kids have the power to do that, and adults have the power to do that. We make a covenant with ourselves, and it works. And I could not get hurt. And all the time growing up, I don't remember feeling a whole lot. Because I made this covenant. I was drinking of this well. There's a price tag to the sister, and there always is a price tag, you know. The price tag is that I'm not going to feel much of anything because I'm not going to feel pain. But that's the sister in there. I remember going back to my class reunion, and I, my family blew apart when I was in seventh grade. I mean, it just, uh, uh, my mom left, and, and two sisters went with her, and, and uh, another one moved out, and another one ran away from home, and my dad was gone for two weeks at a time. And all of a sudden, in seventh, eighth grade, I was all by myself, basically. And I went back to this class reunion, and I asked people, did I ever talk about that? I don't remember ever talking about that. I had to ask this girl that I dated all during seventh and eighth grade, did I ever talk about this? My life was falling apart. My family was falling apart. And she never knew anything about it. I never talked about it. I had the ability just to turn it off. And I believe when I was six, I needed to be able to do that. It's a survival cistern. But see, the water there is stale. Because it really doesn't quench anyone's thirst. It doesn't quench my thirst. It, does, it didn't give me love. It gave me the illusion of it. I really didn't need love, but I was, it hurt too much to want it. I really didn't care, but it was easier not to care. It was stale water. It really didn't meet the thirst. It was finite, and it leaks. No jug leaks, because it really doesn't work. I sometimes drive my wife crazy now. You see, you don't get rid of these mechanisms like this all overnight. But I still have that ability. If I feel like someone doesn't like me, or if I feel like they're going to cause trouble, if I feel like I'm going to get burned, I cannot care at the drop of a hat. It's a big deal. In fact, I'm used to that. In fact, if, if, if there isn't somebody out there not liking me that I don't turn off, it feels weird. But see, in a marriage, it happens in every marriage that at some point you're going to think that your spouse doesn't like you, right? I mean, you, we can be honest about this. So I have abilities to not care about that. Well, okay, that's just that. And I don't want to deal with the problems. I'd rather not care about the problems. I don't wrestle with the stuff. And it drives her crazy and it drives me crazy because she knows that something's bugging me before I do. Because I'm so good at, at not feeling it. And I keep on saying, no, there's nothing wrong. Why? I'm not on your inside. You see, there's a wall there. There's a protective wall there. There's a cistern there. It's a way of meeting a thirst in my life. But what was necessary when you're six is not necessary when you're 40. And what will help you survive when you're six will destroy you when you're 40 if you don't let go of the old. And see, Jesus wants to be a wellspring of life for me. He wants to say, Greg, I got enough love. You don't need to hold on to that anymore. I got fresh water. You don't need, a, you don't need that stale water anymore. I, I got an endless river of life. You don't need that leaky little finite jug that you're holding on to. I can meet that need. I want to shower you with this. I can use every opportunity in which you feel vulnerable to grow you into the kind of new person I want you to be. But if you keep hanging out in this old cistern, you're never going to experience the newness of life that I have for you. And you can pray till you're blue in your face. For God to change you or whatnot, but until you let go of the cistern, it's not going to happen. 
You gotta let go of it. Lady I, I knew about three years ago involved in a marriage, a godly lady, a wonderful lady. I mean, this was she, this is these are good, decent people we're talking about. I'm a good, decent person. I mean, my gosh. But she was praying for a marriage, always praying for a marriage. Lord, I got marriage this isn't gonna work, you know, and Praying for her husband to change her husband, change her husband. You see, if you get to know her, and I got to know her a little bit, finally developed a relationship where I had a platform to say something because you can't say anything outside of a relationship. But see, this lady had a sister in her life, and she had developed this during the course of her marriage. Her husband had done some rather nasty things and, and was not a good husband. I mean, it was tough. And she had developed a pattern of anger and bitterness and resentment, and she had moved into that. She had created a little reservoir. What fed her, Nan? Can you relate to this? What she drank out of, here's the sister, and she would splash her face with this, cool herself off. She would drink of this stale water. What that water was was her own anger. In a, in, in a way, and, and, and I think we can relate to this, sometimes it feels right to have the anger. It feels good to have the anger. You feel justified to have the anger. She wanted to make her husband pay. She wanted to make him suffer. He didn't realize what he was throwing away when he didn't treat her right, when he just went about his own way. She had so much to offer, and that bitterness actually fed her to the point where she didn't want to let that go. Sometimes when you let go of profound anger that you've moved into for 15 years, you feel like you're getting cheated. You feel like you're losing a deal. You want to, This is why the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and that applies to marriages too, you know. It's, it's this water that you're drinking of is stale, it's moldy, it's making you sick. The thing is, she could see that. She could see that. And yet, it's so hard to let go of it. Do you know how that is? You, there's an anger, a bitterness there, and you want to let go of it, but it's like you're not even hanging on to it. It's hanging on to you. But as long as you got this cistern here and your face is buried in it and you're lapping up the water and the devil's getting you to think that there's life here, so long as that's going on, there's this river of life that you're going to be missing out on. God wanted to bless her marriage and eventually was able to because she let go of the cistern. But God wanted to pour new life and a new love into that marriage. God wanted to get her to realize, to remember the kind of vibrancy that they had when, when they were first going out, when they were first married. And, and there's so much potential there that they'd just been sitting on and squelching and bearing for years and years and years. But it wasn't gone. It could be recovered. But it takes the love of God to unveil the whole thing. As long as you're drinking from a cistern of well, getting life from being resentful, getting life from being angry, you never open up to the reservoir of life that Christ wants to pour into the marriage, however much you pray for it to change. The way God wanted to answer that prayer was by saying, give me that cistern. Take it from you. Here's another instance of it. A person who's very, very depressed, who always tends to have things go wrong in their life. And I'm not saying that people who are depressed and have things go wrong are doing this. But this person was. And if it lands, let it land. But she would pray, God, get me out of this depression. God, give me your joy. I want to be more than a conqueror, like you say. Why is it that bad things are always happening to me? And everyone's always, everyone always felt sorry for her because things were always going bad. It was just a mess, and she's always depressed. But you get to know her a little bit and get a little bit on the inside of her world, and what you find out was this. There was a cistern in her life, a strategy for survival that worked for her when she was 10, but she was still trying to use it when she was 30. The strategy was this. The message was, if you want to get any kind of affection, any kind of attention, you want anyone to hold you, you've got to have things go wrong. Because the only time she ever got attention 
The only time her mom ever held her, and that was so important to her, the only time her mom was ever tender towards her was when she skinned her knee or fell on the bike or was, had a friend who, who didn't treat her right. When she came home crying, then she got the attention. Otherwise, she was invisible. And she didn't go around thinking, oh, I have to do this in order to get attention, but it was part of her identity. It's part of who she was. It's the well that she had drunk out of, and she could pray, God, make me more than a conqueror. God, give me your joy. Give me your peace. Take away these problems in my life. But as long as she's holding on to this cistern, whether she knows it or not, I took her a couple of years of counseling to even find out that she had this cistern in her life. But as long as she's holding on to that, the wellspring is coming out. God's actually answering the prayer. There's a blessing there. But she keeps on walking with her face in this cistern, and the water is stale, and the water is putrid, and the cistern is leaky, and it is not quenching the thirst, and she's missing out on the river of life because she's holding on to that. For some of us, it's a matter of just getting a new, letting God give us a new identity. There's a wellspring of life that God wants to shower on us and give us a new identity to let go of the old. Maybe we needed it back then, but now holding on to it is a matter of forsaking the wellspring of life. person who wants to quit smoking... It's not just about a nicotine habit, you guys. It, it, that's hard. That is really hard to kick. But it's also about getting a new identity. Can you see yourself free from this thing? Can you, uh, can you actually see yourself not reaching for the pack when you're in a tense situation, when things are going wrong, when you're depressed? Can you picture yourself not medicating yourself with that nicotine? Until you can let go of that identity, that 20-year or 30-year association with that, God will be trying to answer that prayer, saying, God, take away these cigarettes. I don't want them anymore. They're not doing me any good. You can pray that, but as long as you're holding on to it as a form of medicating yourself, and that's your identity, that's what you live in, prayer's not going to be answered. A person who's a compulsive masturbator can't even conceive of himself living without this kind of thing. Praise God, free me from this, from this addiction. But if this is the way, if you're holding on to the old identity, this is your way of escaping from your problems, this is the way of medicating your wounded ego, as long as your head is buried in that cistern, God wants to answer the prayer, wants to give you a newness of life, He wants to set His people free. But we have got to let go of the old. Or someone living in sin, someone living in sin, you're, you're, you're living with your boyfriend, you're living with your girlfriend, or you're shacking up, or you've got other things going on in your life, you pray, oh God, free me from this. Free me from this. And then you wonder why God doesn't answer prayer. But the question is this. Can you let go of that old self that says, my pleasure is more important than Christ's lordship? Can you let go of that old, you've always had it your way. You've always done your thing. That's that old self. That's that old path. That's the old wine. It's familiar to you. You're used to it. It's part of your identity. Maybe you can't even see yourself without it. But the Lord is saying this. You've got to let go of that. And the Lord understands how hard that can be sometimes. Even when we see that this is wrong and this is right, this is destructive for me, this is healthy, we still hang on to this. We need to say, Lord, will you just unleash the grip? Take it from me. Lord, just... I want to let the wellspring flow. As the worship team comes out here, I want to ask you this question. What cistern do you have in your life? What leaky, putrid, stale cistern do you have? We're going to spend a couple of songs just worshiping Christ, letting Christ be Christ, because every answer to prayer in the end is simply a way of acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and saying what's true about Him. All answer to prayer comes out of that. So we're going to worship Christ, put Him on His throne, knowing that He can't answer prayer. But let the Lord be unveiling to you what cistern do you have in your life. Because what I know about Jesus Christ this morning and what I know about you this morning is this. He wants to free you. 
He wants to pour His life into your marriage, into your relationship with your kids, maybe into your relationship with yourself. He wants to heal the memory that is there. Maybe He wants to heal your physical body. Maybe He wants to heal your emotions. You know the area of your life that you're thirsty in. And let the Lord reveal to you what cistern you have that you're drinking out of. And then I encourage you to follow the Holy Spirit in letting that go. Just letting that go. And after a couple songs, as the Lord leads, we're going to invite whoever wants you to come forward. And we're going to enter into prayer for healing as the rest of us worship God and say, Lord, just take away the old cisterns and pour out your river of life right now and set your people free. Amen. Father, I pray, God, that this would be an exodus from Egypt morning. God, I know, I feel, Lord, here this morning now that there's some stale water in our lives. There's some leaky cisterns in our life. God, right next to us, in fact, right inside of us, Lord, there is a fresh, clean, flowing, cool river of water. And you're inviting us to dive into it. God, I pray that you would empower us to set, to let go of those cisterns, the anger, the memories, for the person here this morning who's got a cistern of water that is stale and putrid that consists of an unresolved conflict with their father and another who has it with their mother, I pray, God, you take it away, Lord. They needed it when they were 14, but they don't need it when they're 24 or 44. Lord God, be freeing your people here this morning. Only you can do it. We're now going to exalt you, Lord. Let your spirit flood this place. Let your river flow over this place. And set your people free. Amen.